You're listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message at 11 a.m. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. To learn more, visit mtcarmeldemarest.com or facebook.com forward slash mtcarmeldemarest. Thanks for listening. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We're going to look at just one verse this morning, verse 3. I do want to just give you a little bit of a warning just because I know that uh, there might be young ones in here and I want to respect uh, parents' authority over their children. Uh, today's sermon subject deals with sexual sin. And so if you uh, need to leave or, or be dismissed, you will not offend me at all. All right. I do want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, take a Bible from the back of the pew in front of you. And if you don't have a Bible at home, take that Bible home with you. Uh, we want to equip you with God's Word. Also, if you will pull out the insert in your bulletin, uh, there's a space for notes uh, that you can fill in. And then also, if you have a smartphone and you've downloaded the Version Bible app or the Bible app by Version, uh, you can go to the More tab, tap Events, find Mount Carmel Baptist Church, click on that, and, and then find today's sermon title. And there's all of my notes, quotes, and references will be in the app, and you can save that on your phone uh, for future reference as well. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. We're in part 2 of our series entitled Understanding God's Will. And the Today's sermon title is entitled, Works in Progress. Works in Progress. I don't watch the show, but apparently after a recent season of The Bachelorette, any takers on that, you will not be judged or condemned, all right? Social media fought over the stars, Hannah Brown and Luke Parker's views on premarital sex. Both Hannah and Luke claim to be Christians. But for Luke, sex is to be saved for marriage. And Hannah told Luke, I've had sex, and Jesus still loves me. On the one hand, she's right. Jesus loves Hannah, even when she sins repeatedly. On the other hand, Jesus forbids fornication. The Greek word for fornication is pornea, from which we get our word for porn. Pornea is sometimes called uh, fornication, sexual immorality, or sexual sin in the Bible. It includes all kind of sexual relations between unmarried people. And adultery which is all kinds of sexual relations between two people married to someone else. Jesus condemns both adultery and pornea, which is sexual immorality, fornication, or sexual sin. So Hannah may not be confused about God's love, but she is definitely confused about God's will. But before we condemn Hannah, we better take a soul-searching look at ourselves. According to research by Mark Regnerus, associate professor of sociology at the University of Texas, just listen to these statistics. 
of Americans who regularly attend religious service like you're doing today, 23% say they're unsure whether living outside of marriage or, or living together outside of marriage is immoral. So almost one in four. 21% say they don't know what they think of no strings attached sex. That's of Americans attending a religious service today. One in five, they don't know if it's right or wrong. One in four aren't willing to condemn pornography. And that last trend about pornography is especially severe. According to Grayson Gilbert's research at Wheaton College, 76% of young Christian adults, now I didn't make up the age range, Wheaton did. That's 18 to 24 years old. But 70% of those in that age group who claim to be Christians actively search for pornography on the internet. 33% of women age 25 and under search for porn at least once a month. According to the Barna Group and Covenant Oz, 11, 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. Okay? Our culture is saturated with sex. And if the church remains silent about it, that is not healthy. And in unbiblical, we have a right here with biblical authority and the opportunity to inform you about what God says, what we're to do with sex. Here's the big question. I think this is what presses on a lot of young minds especially. Why would God ask us to do something that is so difficult and feels so unnatural that competes against all the desires He has given us? Why would God ask us or forbid us from doing something that we feel such a strong emotion toward? In fact, one of my favorite quotes about it is from C.S. Lewis's book, The Four Loves, when he talks about eros or erotic love. He says that eros, when we feel that, it speaks with the voice of God, but it's not God. It sounds like God. It's strong like God. But it isn't God Himself. So what are we supposed to do when it's forbidden? In today's Bible passage, sexual sin plagued the Roman Empire. People in the Roman Empire regarded any sexual activity as acceptable. It was common for a man not to limit his sexual relationship to his wife. Homosexuality was common. Incest was overlooked, and slaves were kept and used for sex. That's the culture of the Apostle Paul's day when he writes this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. And it's very, it's very easy to see. This is not a difficult verse. It's one of those ones easy to discern, difficult to obey. Easy to discern, difficult to obey. Let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. For this is God's will. Let's just pause one minute. Everybody ask, what's God's will for my life? Here's an explicit verse, right? This is God's will. What is it, God? Your sanctification. 
your sanctification. I'll give you a definition for that in just a moment. And then he centers in on an area of sanctification that he wants the Thessalonians and for us to work on on this day. It says this, that you keep away from sexual immorality. That you stay away from sexual sin. Write this down. Here's what sanctification is. That's a big $5 theological word, but yet it has so much practical value in our everyday life. Sanctification is the process, the process where God takes sinful thinking, affections, and behaviors and conforms them to His Word. Sanctification is the process where God takes sinful thinking, affections, and behaviors and conforms them to His Word. Now, I need you to notice a couple of things. Who is the primary agent? Who is responsible in this starting process of sanctification according to this definition? God. God is the one who begins a new work in us. I need you to catch this, church, because sometimes we get this messed up in Baptist theology. We want every person in here to be saved. That is God's will for everyone. We discussed it last week. God desires that no one should perish, that no one should come under God's judgment and wrath, that all should come to repentance. They should recognize that they're sinners and turn from sin and trust Jesus Christ as their loving Savior and God. That's God's will for every one of us. But here's where we sell ourselves short. That salvation encompasses more than just fleeing the wrath to come. God also wants to change our lives on a daily basis. Now, for some of you, and I'm included, there's days where I like, I don't like to change. Right? It's hard. It's difficult. But for some of us, and I hope you see this, this is glorious. If you're struggling, if you're addicted, these are things that God can help you overcome. But here's the other part that I want you to see. While God's the primary agent, you are the secondary agent. God works in you, willing in you what to do, but you must obey. I find it odd that we want to put all of the process of sanctification on God, but think about this. Paul tells us here to what? Keep away from sexual sin. So we have a responsibility as well. Do you see that? God begins this process. He gives us the grace to walk out this process. But you and I are actually responsible to do what the Bible tells us to do. And that's not legalism because we understand this. It doesn't come in our own power. We need God's help and grace to do this each and every day. And then the other thing I want to highlight with this definition is that it is a process. You... Every single one of you sitting here, if you know Jesus as your Savior, I hope you realize this by now, but the minute that you knelt down, repented of your sins, and trusted Christ as your Savior, you didn't become perfect. Anybody here got that all automatically? We've got that spiritually. God gifted us His righteousness. Think of it this way. God gave you a, a gift of righteousness. Let's say it's a robe of righteousness. He's given that to you. He's given it to you. His expectation is this, is that every day you put it on. You've got to put it on. And let me tell you, folks, that's a lot easier said than done. Easy to discern, difficult to obey. 
But every day, every day, it may be just getting a millimeter closer <laughs> to conformity to God's word, but that's all that he wants us to strive for. Take the next right step in conforming your life to the word of God. That is God's objective will for every person. You don't have to wonder, does God want me to deal with sexual sin? Yes. That's something for every single one of us to work on. Here's the big idea. Write it down. I just want to make sure it's clear, that it's crystal, that you don't have to forget it. God's will is that you keep away from sexual sin. God's will is that you keep away from sexual sin. Now, I'm going to go ahead and nuance something because some people only hear certain things. I've recognized this. The, the more I've preached on this subject, I have noticed how people tune in and out depending on how they feel about this subject. Okay? So I'm going to reiterate a lot of things. This is not keep away from sex. This is keep away from sexual sin. Okay? God is the author and perfecter of sex. God created sex for pleasure, procreation, and as an expression of love between a husband and a wife. Church, a whole book of the Bible is devoted to sex. Do you know that? All right? So God does not despise sex. However, because you and I are made in the image of God, sex is not just fulfilling animal instincts like brute beast. That's what the world would tell you. You feel it, just go do it. Here's the reason why this is important. If you're made in the image of God, which you are, sex is spiritual. Write it down. See, there's a component to humanity that the rest of creation doesn't have. We have a spiritual capacity, an opportunity to have a relationship with God. And so everything we do in some way, whether you eat or drink, all can be done for the glory of God. Well, guess what? The arena and subject of sex falls into the same thing. The way we conduct our sex lives can either bring glory to God or diminish His glory. Sex is spiritual. It has a spiritual component to it. Listen to this. For good or evil, you need to know this. According to the Bible, when you are in sex, you are welding two souls together. It has that deep of a spiritual and emotional component. Sex has profound consequences for our, sexual, for our spiritual lives. And so that's why God since it has such profound consequences, speaks into it and forbids certain things as sexual sins. The text here implies that sexual sin hurts God. Now, ain't that kind of funny to think about it? You say, what do you mean hurts God? Because you need to see this. When we talk about this is God's will for your life, we don't mean some draw dead plan for your life. When we talk about God's will, we mean His passion, His desire, His pleasure. When we ask, what is God's will? We're saying, God, what would please you? What do you desire for me? So He actually has a passion. He actually has a, a zeal, so to speak, that you stay away from sexual sin. 
It's not some cold, dead, lifeless thing. I like how one preacher put it. When God says no or abstain, forbid, keep away, he's meaning this, don't hurt yourself. Don't hurt yourself. Now let's think about how sexual sin hurts us as individuals and as communities. Adultery unleashes a deluge of emotional pain. It has devastated countless lives and destroyed families, churches, communities, and on a large scale, nations. Adultery has. What about cohabitation? Surely cohabitation is harmless. Listen to this. Now, I believe the Word of God has the final say and authority, but I find it interesting when the world who doesn't appreciate the Word of God substantiates and confirms what the Word of God says. The National Survey of Families and Households suggests that those who cohabit before marriage have a far greater incidence of separating and or divorcing. Women, for example, who cohabit before marriage are 80% more likely to divorce and are almost twice as likely to divorce within 10 years as those who do not cohabit. Can I speak some hard truths to you out of love today? Let me tell you why some sociologists and psychologists believe that's the case. Because the world tells you, how about you basically try out marriage without the commitment, the biblical commitment of marriage. That should help you have a longer lasting and more satisfying marriage. Here's the problem with cohabitation. Generally, those relationships are built around sex. When you are biblically dating or biblically courting, you're trying to find a spouse, and you leave sex outside of the equation, and you leave it for marriage, your relationship has to be built on more than sex. You have to learn how to talk. Because let me tell you right now, I don't know about y'all, can we just get real for a minute? My marriage isn't all about sex. It's got communication. Hey, laugh with me. It's got communication. It's got finances. It's got children involved. If it was all sex, most of us would be fine, right? But we're not. Because there's more to a marriage relationship than just sex. And if your relationship has been built on that, you're going to have difficulty when you get married. Because you're going to learn how to, how to communicate. You're going to learn how to, how to do a budget. You're going to have to learn how to deal with kids. And you ever never talked about them. That's what some sociologists and psychologists say. And then, ladies, let me bring it down. And I love you. But here's what they say. Yeah, I throw the, the guys kind of under the bus in a heartbeat. Here it comes. Ready? Many people, when they approach cohabitation, here's the thought. Women go to cohabit because they actually have a genuine interest, love for the person, the man that they're cohabiting with. Let me tell you what men are doing. They're determining if they love you. Let me tell you why that's important. Because if you do it the biblical way, here's what happens. In cohabitation, the woman is sacrificing to make the relationship work. Man's just trying it out. You understand that? And I'm not saying marriage is perfect, but if you do it biblically, the point is this. Christ is the example for the man. He gives the most, receives the least. He makes the sacrifices. You got me? So I'm letting you know right now, this is, these are things that aren't just being churned out of Bible-thumping places. They're seeing this on a national scale. And it confirms the biblical way all along. Who would have thought God be right? According to the abstinence 
clearinghouse in 2015 and a sample of 13,000 people who cohabited, at least 40% of these couples broke up before marrying. Many of those who did not marry reported more dissatisfaction with communication after marrying than those who did not cohabit. Now, is there the one anomaly out there? Absolutely. But you're going to play against the odds? When we can obey the word of God? What about pornography? Surely pornography is harmless. According to Dr. Stephen Stack at Wayne State University, pornography use increases marital infidelity. You ready for this? By 300%. 300%. 56% of American divorces involve one party having, quote, an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Pornography use might consciously or unconsciously shape viewers' expectations about body image and sexual behavior in ways that leave them disappointed with their spouse or partner. Can I just go ahead and let you know what pornography is? Two things. One, it is a fantasy. It's a fantasy. You're living in a dream world. Real life isn't like that. And when you go and view that and you create an expectation consciously or unconsciously that this is what sex is and you bring that into marriage, you will be sorely disappointed. It is Satan's laws. It makes it look beautiful and wise. And you bite it and then what? It costs you everything. The other part is this. Can I tell you something, church? You know what pornography is to the people who create it? Revenue. They don't care about your soul. And they want to get your kids addicted young. Why? They'll be paying for years. This is about money for them. It has nothing to do with your children's faces. They don't care. In our day, and this is something that I think, pornography is the gateway drug for all kinds of sexual sin. Because technology has made it so readily available. Church, we can do it right now. Right? This is a double-edged sword. It's one of the greatest things we got, and it can curse us. Write this down. Sexual sin hurts God because it hurts you. Sexual sin hurts God because it hurts you. Why is he so passionate that you stay away from sexual sin? Because he knows more than anybody the ramifications of it on humanity. That's why he forbids it among the saints. What do we need to do? What do you and I need to do? And I, I put it this way. Write it down. We need to get a wit mentality. Get a wit mentality. W-I-T. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to keep away from sexual sin, we as Christians need to be ready to rely on the resources of God to do it. When it comes to cohabitation, the world argues that it allows two people to gain clarity on the rightness of a relationship. We're living together because we're trying to figure out if we want to get married, if we want to stay in this for the long haul. But let me tell you, with gentleness and respect, God is the only one who determines the rightness of a relationship. God does. 
And when people ask me, Pastor, we really want to know if this relationship is God's will for us. And then you find out that those two are cohabiting. Here in black and white and plain as day, I can tell you what God says. God's will is that you break up. Why would I want to seek out the subjective will of God, the personal will of God for my life, when he has objectively written in black and white, stay away from sexual sin? Why would he answer the second question when you've already been disobedient to the first? Now, I'm not here to condemn you. I am not perfect by any stretch of the nation in this arena. Instead, here's what I do want to do. I want to help you. If you're cohabiting today, I'm going to make a deal with you. All right? Instead of sitting here going, just, just stop, just stop, I want to offer you maybe a solution. So I've been certified in a pre-marriage counseling thing called Simba, saving your marriage before it starts. Okay? And here's what I want to ask you to do. Instead of, instead of relying upon cohabitation to figure out whether you two need to be together, you can take an online assessment for $35 through Simbus. That, that money does not go to me. That's just for the online assessment. You get emailed two separate links. It's 100 or so plus questions. And it goes from everything, from communication, finances, sex, to spirituality, every type of compatibility thing. And the results are sent to me as a pastor, and we spend about an hour and a an hour and a half going through that assessment. It's 35 bucks. I'll make you the deal today. If you'll go take it, I'll waive the fee. I just want you to take the next right step. That's all I want you to do today. If you're living together because you're trying to figure things out, there's a better way to figure things out. All you got to do, you say, how do I get a part of that? On the back of that tear-off panel, it says pre-marriage assessment. Just check it off. Give me your name. Give me an email address. I'll send it to you this week. And you can get started. And we'll make a date. What happens about pornography? Well, there are several effective, practical approaches to combating pornography use. And I want you to write these down. There should be four blanks there that you can fill in. In Samuel Perry's incredible book, Addicted to Lust, another sociologist who went and surveyed uh, conservative Protestants about their approach to pornography, throughout his interviews, he found a couple of things that were very effective that the church did. You ready? They're surprised. Very first thing, get filtering software. I have told you this before, and I'll tell it to you again. Get filtering software. Now you wonder, who should get it? Listen to me, every single one of you. You may say, well, Josh, I'm 80 years old. Yeah, but do you have any device that your ch uh, grandchild can get a hold of? You see what I mean? You need to think much broader than just whether you're dealing with this or whether you have family or people in your community. I'm talking about all adults, parents, grandparents, teenagers. They all have to have filtering software on all their devices, cell phones, iPads, laptops, TVs. Do it. If you've been wondering, this is like the second time I've told you to do it, I'm telling you to do it. Don't wait. Do not wait. And let me tell you this, here's another part. If you get the good stuff, it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you 50 bucks a year to protect all your devices and your children. But let me know, remind you this, pornography is a money-baking business. If you're not willing to invest money into your, your children abstaining from this, the pornography business is willing to invest its money to get them addicted. Okay? 
So I encourage you, the one I use is Gustodio. It's Q-U-S-T-O-D-I-O. But again, I'm here to make a deal with you. It's that important. If you don't have filtering software that's legitimate, that's good, and I, what I mean by that is probably you're paying for it in some case, then if you'll check off on the back of that bulletin filtering software on that tear-off panel, drop in the off plate, give me your name, a cell phone, or email address, I'll make sure you get it. It's that important to me. It's that important to me for your teenagers, for the future of our church, and the church. Get it. The second thing is this. Get accountability. Get accountability. Partner with a mature Christian who will routinely ask you this, and this is the way that I've always found it pretty good to do this. You don't have to come up and kick down the door and ask it like, okay, so when's the last time you watched something or seen something? Just simply ask this. Just have it written in the uh, like rules. When I ask you about how your weekend went, I'm asking you about your pornography issue. How was your weekend? I ain't trying to be deceptive, but here's the point. I think sometimes when we start using terms, people, and they see all bringing in the light, we hide from one another. You got me? We need to understand we're works in progress. None of us are perfect. I would rather you piecemeal and step out of it, little by little by little, than stay in the dark forever. You catch me? So let's just go one weekend at a time. How was your weekend? How was your weekend? The third thing, avoid vulnerability. Avoid vulnerability. Situations when you're alone with someone. If you're married, communicate with your spouse. If you can't tell your spouse that you're meeting with so-and-so, then call it off. Right? You've got to stay away from these things. And then the fourth one is sever attractions. Sever attractions. And, and I'm going to tell you a story in just a minute about how far we might have to be willing to go. Remember, it's a whatever it takes mentality. With sexual sin and adultery, Jesus offers a twofold hope. First, Jesus offers forgiveness of sin and freedom from shame. I need you to know that. Jesus died for, if you've committed adultery, if you've cohabitated, if, you've, if, you have, uh, if you have a porn addiction, Jesus died, bled and died to cleanse you from all of it. So I need you to understand that. In case you're worried, what do I got to do to get up? Jesus already took care of it at the cross. What a wonderful thing. You do not need to carry on in any more shame. The penalty, the punishment, the wrath, all of it has been absorbed by Jesus on the cross. No need for you to carry it around anymore. You can walk out of here today free. At the same time, the Holy Spirit, who's a part of this sanctification process, wants to help you in an experiential way every day walk more and more out of it. See what I mean? Between you and God, you can be forgiven and free. And the Holy Spirit wants to come into your life today to go, okay, today we start taking the next right step out of it and the next right step out of it and the next right step out of it till you walk completely out of it. That's what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. What a hope. What a glorious hope. And then here's what I want you to know, church, in case you ain't figured out, your neighbor to your left and your right has at one point struggled with this, so we're in this together. Heads held high and proud Pharisees going, ah, never, never struggled with anything. You're a part of a family 
who wants you to walk out of it. Okay? There's nothing, the, the older I get and the more in pastoral ministry, here's what I found. Anybody who comes busting through my door for counseling, there's nothing they can say to shock me. You know why? We're all sinners. I'm just as susceptible as you are. You're just as susceptible as I am. And if it's not for the grace of God, we would be in the exact same position. So there's no reason. Everybody needs, to Everybody needs to work with everyone as works in progress. You're a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. Let's just walk out of this thing together. In The Four Wheels of God, Emerson Egrich writes this story. How far, right? Whatever it takes, what would we have to do to sever attractions? Here's the story he tells. Having committed adultery with a co-worker, Rob came to see me, this is Emerson, when his unfaithfulness to his wife teetered on destroying his family. Though he admitted he loved his wife and children, he was helplessly drawn to the talents of a woman at work. As we discussed his dilemma, he realized that the power of Jesus Christ was greater than the forces vying for his heart. Christ loved him and died to forgive him. Through the crisis and our conversations, Rob placed his faith in Jesus. Now, you would think, oh, well, then that's fixed. Right? Notice what happens. Immediately after that, he knew that he needed to cut off his adulterous relationship. And notice, the, notice how it worked. He found Jesus, and then he fixed it. Right? I don't want you sitting there thinking, well, gosh, I'm going to have to get all my life right before I come to Jesus. That's not the biblical order. Get forgiveness and redemption in the Spirit, and then let's address this. However, he also knew this woman's presence at his work prohibited him from continuing working with her. To obey Jesus Christ and honor his marriage, Rob quit his job. Because he had an outstanding career, his choice created serious challenges. He had to find new work and wait years to reestablish himself in a new field. There were moments when the cost of obedience seemed overwhelming as he sought to rebuild his life according to God's principles. At this season of his life, this man resolved to do the universal will of God no matter what the price. I love to tell you there's this beautiful story that ends and the, the bow's tied and man, he's filthy rich at this new job. That's not the story. You know what he's found doing? He's just found doing the will of God. That's it. It cost him something. It did. But he's doing God's will. Egrich's continues. When I was a new believer, I heard professor and scholar Dr. Gordon Fee tell the story of Christ's forgiveness of a repentant believer. Say you're, you're a believer and you're caught up in this, but you come today... God, I'm sorry, and I do want to obey your will. What's God's response to that? This is what Fee said. When this believer came before the Lord to confess his sin, he said humbly, Lord Jesus, I have sinned again. Will you forgive me again? Fee says this. The Lord replied, again, I don't recall the last time. Thanks for listening to Mount Carmel Baptist Church's weekly Sunday worship service message. Mount Carmel is located in Demarest, Georgia. Please join us this Sunday at 11 a.m. To plan your visit, go to mtcarmeldemarest.com.